0: The Cottonwood Project presents Becoming the Plagiarist, written and read by B.T. Higgins. Nine. Saturday dawned clear and warm. Mike slept until the light woke him up two hours later than normal. He opened his eyes and marinated in the deep satisfaction of waking up naturally. The clock ticked over to eight o'clock Mike remembered Tony's first football game was today. Game day, he said to the picture of the Hong Kong skyline on his ceiling and then jumped out of bed. He threw on shorts and a t-shirt. Mom had cooked another family breakfast. She reached out an arm and pulled him close when he came around the corner into the kitchen. Mike rested his chin on the top of her head as she gave him a one-arm rib squeeze. How are you doing today, Mom? Mike asked. Better, thanks. Mom said, you are getting so tall. Mike sat down and watched his mom working. When the blueberry muffins came out of the oven, Mom slid one out of the pan and gave it to Mike. He watched the steam rising from its top while they let it cool enough to eat. It's really good, Mom, Mike declared when he ate the first bite. Is it? Mom seemed surprised. I didn't know you could cook. Mom smiled and said, I can't. She pointed to a tablet propped up against the wall on the counter. Mike saw the recipe for the world's best blueberry muffins. They are very tasty, Mike said. He sat back and enjoyed the rest of the muffin. Mom? Yes? Why are you learning to cook? Mike started. He stopped. I mean, why learn now? She kept her gaze on the eggs she was scrambling, as if the pan might explode. At first, Mike thought she hadn't heard. She turned off the heat and emptied the eggs into a bowl. As she scrubbed the skillet in the sink, Mom said, If I can't get another job, then we need to be smarter with our money. I did the calculations. I can feed the family for one-third the money if I shop the sales and cook it myself. So, she dropped the clean skillet onto a rack to dry. I am learning to cook and coupon. Her eyes flashed a flustered expression. What is coupon? Mike asked. Discount prices on certain groceries, Mom said. She tapped another app on her tablet, like Buy One Get One Free on Concentrated Orange Juice. She read the ad, limit four per customer. Mike nodded. This would be a change. He served some eggs into a bowl for himself and tried them. Mom watched for his reaction. Well, how are they? Mike gave a thumbs up. You're a good cook, Mom. This seemed to please her. She began looking at the instructions for pancakes. She sat down across from Mike and read through them several times. Then she stood up and began mixing ingredients. Mike watched how carefully she measured and double-checked the recipe before dumping each ingredient into the mixing bowl. Tony has his first football game this morning. I'm going to go around 10 o'clock, Mike said. That's fine. Mom sounded distracted. She counted scoops of flour under her breath. Mike searched for a parking spot at the community sports complex. He found one in an adjacent overflow dirt parking lot. As he limped across the street, his walking stick tapped against the asphalt cheerfully. The sun was coming on stronger. Mike made his way through the gate, paid a couple of dollars, and got his hands stamped. He followed the stream of people toward the football field passing several soccer fields with games in progress. At the third field Mike passed, the cheering was especially loud. He paused and saw Zayden Perez and Ricardo taking the field after halftime. They were grim-faced and grass-stained. Mike remembered riding Zayden's memory. He could still feel the sensation of running on that same field, snick, snick, the ease of running at speed on two normal feet gave Mike a jolt of exultation, followed immediately by a kick in the gut. He thought Zayden saw him just before play began. Mike definitely saw his lips curl downward when their eyes connected. Zayden turned away. Mike did the same, rejoining the crowd of football fans. The bump of his walking stick on cement took on a mournful tone. Mike's limp slowed him, but he walked faster so the eager fans near him did not pass him. He wished for the trillionth time that he had a normal right foot. Then he pushed the thought away and found a seat in the bleachers. The game began. Tony's team wore gold and black. Mike heard chants for the cougars across the field. He noticed that everyone around him wore red and blue. They had some sort of bird as their mascot, a hawk maybe. Mike realized he was seated in enemy territory. Both crowds roared at kickoff. Mike considered staying put, but decided he should be on Tony's side of the field. He slipped out of the sea of red and blue and walked slowly around the field to the gold and black bleachers. They were packed, so Mike had to stand with the other latecomers. He leaned on his walking stick and searched for Tony. A giant with the name Reese across his back took the field with a rush of players. Mike noticed with a sense of pride that Tony was bigger than anyone else at this school, too. A fan behind Mike asked his friend, So who's the big guy? He's a transfer from that Christian school. He's a meat grinder, said the friend. Mike hadn't heard that expression before, but he figured he knew what it meant. When Tony hiked the ball to the quarterback, the sounds of clashing bodies and helmets erupted. Two defenders lay on the ground in front of Tony in the next moment. "Yes!" shouted the fan. "Meat grinder!" shouted his friend. The quarterback, Mike couldn't remember his name, threw a short pass for a gain of 10 yards. The march toward the end zone began. A few minutes later the Cougars were on the board. Mike clapped and whooped with the crowd as the offense came off the field. Mike saw him in the crowd, pointed and waved at Mike. Mike flashed a thumbs up at his friend. "You know Reese?" Asked the fan next to Mike. Mike nodded. The fan seemed impressed, which Mike thought was funny. Your friend is going to play in the pros someday. Mark my words. Mike nodded. What else could he do? The guy was so emphatic. Mark my words, the fan repeated. Mike nodded again for good measure. As if they were now old friends, the fan and his friend included Mike in all of their comments, cheers, and boos. Mike just smiled and nodded. He thought the game was very exciting. The fans were much crazier than CCA fans. Mike felt like a piece of driftwood in a churning sea of people. He yelled and clapped, mostly repeating the waves of cheers and jeers of the rabid cougar crowd. His voice quickly grew hoarse. At halftime, they were up by seven points. The two teams rushed off the field into a locker room that adjoined the bathrooms. It seemed that most of the crowd needed to go to the bathroom at the same time. Mike stepped back and let the stream of people go by. Suddenly, Mike recognized Mr. Reese. Mike, Tony's dad called. Hey, Mr. Reese, Mike waved. I didn't know you were coming, he said. He didn't stop. Come, sit with us. We are sitting on the other side close to the top. Dina is up there. You'll see her. Mr. Reese turned his head and made a beeline for the bathroom. Mike noticed that the men's bathroom had a long line. Mr. Reese stepped into it. Mike waited until the walkway cleared and limped his way to the other side of the bleachers. Mrs. Reese saw him and waved him up. Hello, Mrs. Reese. Exciting game, huh? Mike said. He sat down. So exciting, she said. Mike noticed that she wore a cougar jersey. It went down past her knees and looked like a dress. Mike realized it was Tony's spare jersey. Neither of Tony's parents were very tall or strong, but they had the same dark hair and eyes. You want something to eat? Drink? Sure, Mike said. Mrs. Reese lifted a cooler lid to reveal an assortment of snacks and drinks. All of the drinks were juice pouches. Mike took one and smiled. They don't let cans and bottles pass the gate, Mrs. Reese explained, but they didn't say anything about juice pouches. I bought a bulk pack. She giggled, as if she'd just pulled one over on the community sports complex. She talked excitedly about everything, which was pretty standard for her. Mike drained his first juice while he listened. She shoved another one into his hands during a lull in her monologue and added a bag of chips. Thanks, Mike said. People began returning to their seats. Mike noticed that a large number of them had purchased nachos at the concession stand. Mr. Reese finally appeared. He shuffled along the row, trying to avoid stepping on each person's toes. Excuse me, excuse me, sorry, he said, until he reached them and sat down. That took forever. Two of the urinals are out of order, so the line was incredible. As the team took the field again, Tony glanced up at his parents. Dina clapped. Mr. Reese shouted, Go, Tony! Play in the second half resumed with a crash. The Hawk fans on the other side were hollering and cheering their boys to match the noise from Mike's side of the field. Mike, whose voice was basically toast now, clapped until his hands stung. He sat down to rest his legs. Mike thought that there wasn't really room for him on the bleachers, but Mr. Reese rarely sat down, so it worked out fine. Mike leaned against the metal bracing behind him and soaked up the game. Next time, he would definitely need to bring a noisemaker." After his third juice pouch, Mike felt very hyper and had to go pee. He tried to hold it, but eventually his bladder won. "'I've got to go to the bathroom,' he said to Tony's parents. "'Now it's fourth and goal,' Mr. Reese said. "'I'll hurry back,' Mike said. The row of people had to sit down to let him pass, one by one. Sorry, Mike said. He hurried down the bleacher steps and toward the bathroom. There was no line. He saw that two of the four urinals were blocked with yellow tape. Each one had a bucket over the drain. The front of the bucket read, Out of Order, in black marker. Oh, that's gross, Mike said, as he noticed that the buckets were nearly full of urine. Apparently they couldn't hold it any longer, Mike thought. More likely they just didn't care, the Henry in his head chimed in. Hey, Henry, Mike thought. Where have you been? What do you mean? I can't go anywhere. I haven't heard from you all day. I've been right here all day. What time is it? The Henry in his head demanded. Mike checked his watch. 11.32. Seriously? I thought for sure school would be done by now. Friday's really drag. Are you going to try to work on your walking stick this afternoon? I'm sure I'll let you. Why wouldn't I? Mike thought. What are you talking about? We did all that yesterday. It's Saturday. We are at Tony's football game. What? The Henry in his head said, Are you serious? You feeling okay, Henry? Mike thought. I'm not sure, Henry replied, and then retreated to a corner of Mike's mind. The sharp smell brought Mike back to the external. He stepped into a stall and closed the door. Mike leaned his walking stick against the cleanest of the walls. He always used the stalls because leaning his walking stick against a wall they got peed on for a living seemed like a bad idea. Those juice pouches go right through you, Mike said. His voice was almost gone. He remembered the game and wanted to get back. Two people walked in. Mike heard cleats scraping the tile floor. They used the urinals, flushed, and washed their hands. Mike waited, his bladder suddenly shy. A cold feeling ran through him. Scrape, click, scrape. The cleats stepped closer to his stall. Mike recognized the color, red with black stripes. A bucket full of pee poured over the stall wall, right down Mike's neck. Wetness flowed down his back. His shirt and pants soaked it up. He felt moisture filling his shoes. He yelled, but it came out as a growl. Mike looked up just in time to see the second bucket of yellow flood directly into his face. His eyes, nose, and mouth filled. He retched. Two plastic buckets bounced off the tile. Mike groaned and screamed. The sharp smell of urine filled his nostrils. The taste was horrible. He spit, but could not clear the flavor. He burst out of the stall as a puddle of yellow swirled toward the floor drain. He spit again and lurched for the sink. Mike tried to rinse his mouth, then his face. The faucet didn't have good water pressure. Mike swirled more water around his mouth and spit. More dripped down from his hair. Sick, sick, sick! Mike shouted over and over. He closed his eyes and plunged his head under the faucet, rinsing over and over. After a full minute, he reached for a paper towel and mopped at his head. Mike stood up and looked toward the door. No one was there, obviously. He spit again in the sink. Why didn't I try to see him? You did, Henry said, thoroughly grossed out to, red cleats with black stripes. <sighs> Mike screamed and punched the paper towel dispenser. A cut opened up his knuckle, adding blood to Mike's list of problems. The smell of waste was horrid. Pee squelched in his shoes and dripped from his shirt sleeves. Mike stood there for several minutes looking at himself in the mirror, trying to figure out what to do. I hate him, I hate him, I hate him, Mike muttered. He grabbed his walking stick from inside the stall and limped out of the bathroom. He made for the parking lot as fast as he could. People parted in front of him as his smell broadcast ahead of him. He felt his face flushing again and again. I hate him, Mike kept muttering. The lady let him pass through the gate without asking if he needed a stamp to get back in. Her face was curled in disgust. Squish, squish. Every step sounded like he'd been swimming in his shoes. Mike spit again. He crossed the street and threw open the driver's door. Mike froze. If he got in, the car would smell like pee for a month. I hate him! Mike screamed in a toady croak. He kicked off his shoes, peeled off his socks and shirt. What now? You mean besides killing Zayden Perez? Henry shouted. For some reason this made Mike laugh. It came out bitter. He stared at the dry dirt below his feet. The feeling of disgust loomed so close that Mike knew it would overcome him if he moved. He stood frozen on the spot, the minivan door ajar. The smell stung his nostrils and threatened to gag him. We'll take him out, believe me, I know people, Henry ranted. I'm not going to kill anyone, Mike said, though his fists were clenched. Why not? He deserves to— The Henry in his head fumed. Mike stood there, feeling the sun on his skin and waited. Henry ranted, threatened, and made plans for the destruction of Zayden Perez. The wilder Henry grew, the calmer Mike felt. He had experience with total humiliation. Years of it. It always feels worse than it is, Mike muttered. This felt pretty bad. Mike replayed the whole thing in his head. At least I didn't see anyone I knew, Mike said. Mike sighed and looked around the dirt parking lot. He needed a shower and new clothes. He wished he had a cell phone he could use to call his mom. Mike noticed that the office building on the edge of the lot had a hose spigot. Better than nothing, he decided. The drying urine on his back felt like it was soaking into his skin. Mike squirmed in disgust. He limped over and began rinsing out his shoes and shirt, then his socks. He couldn't take his pants off, could he? He set his clothes on the hood of his car to dry. Then he returned to the spigot. A hose reel hung on the wall. Mike hooked it up and began showering on the edge of the dirt parking lot. The water soaked through his pants and disappeared into the dry soil. At first it made the smell worse, and then slowly better. Mike sat under the cool water with his eyes closed, willing it to take away the memory of pee in his face. After ten minutes he felt cleaner. He kept scrubbing and rinsing until someone came out of the office building and shouted at him, You can't do that, yelled a pudgy old man in a business suit. I'm sorry, Mike said, and turned off the water. The old man wound the hose back into the reel and frowned so deeply that his lip looked swollen. Now get, shouted the man. I'm sorry, someone dumped pee all over me, Mike said. The old man didn't hear him. He pointed an arthritic finger toward the road. Get off my property. Mike turned and walked across the property line into the dirt parking lot. The old man watched him with narrowed eyes. Mike sat on the hood of his car and let the sun dry him. He closed his eyes. Soon the Henry in his head had calmed down, at least to the point where the threats of violence had stopped. Why does Zayden hate you so much? Henry wondered. I don't know, Mike said out loud. He used to be real nice to me when I was paying him bags. Then I stopped. Mike snapped his fingers. He changed like that. Dumping two buckets of pee on a person is over the line. You need to tell your father what he did. Zaden needs to be stopped, Henry said. Mike thought about this until his pants were nearly dry. He put on his shirt, tossed his shoes inside the car, and drove home barefooted. At home, Mike showered. He took three shampoos and used half a bar of soap under the hottest water he could tolerate. Finally, his skin felt cleansed. Mike still had the urge to spit every few minutes. Mike found a book about Mexico City and translated it from Spanish just to distract himself. As usual, it worked. His mind worked over verb conjugations as he imagined visiting the Great Pyramid of Tenochtitlan thoughts of any other kind became impossible. A car pulled into the driveway. Mike looked up and saw his family stepping out. Mike looked around the house in surprise. He hadn't realized they'd been gone. Mike didn't feel like talking, but Jackson was already bursting through the door. Mom saw him and asked, Mike, why did you leave your brand new shoes in the middle of the driveway and why do they smell like that? Mike frowned and told her what had happened. His dad walked in and made him start again from the beginning. And you don't know who did it? Dad asked. Mike said, I know, I just can't prove it. What do you mean? Mom asked. Red cleats, black stripes, Mike started. He almost told them about the memory he'd stolen from Zayden Perez, but stopped himself. Mike almost said that he knew the soccer shoes belonged to Zayden because Mike had worn them. They wouldn't understand because the truth was unbelievable. Mike remembered their concern when he'd told them about the sparks that floated around everyone's head. Then the memory he'd stolen from his dad came to mind. He couldn't explain how he knew they'd been fighting about money, just like he couldn't explain now. Part of him wanted to tell them, even if they couldn't believe him. Mike hesitated and decided against it. You know who the cleats belong to? Dad asked. Mike nodded. Who? Mike shook his head. I'm not going to say until I can prove it. You need to tell us, Mike, Dad said. Not until I can prove it, Mike said. This caught his dad by surprise, and he slowly swallowed his reply. Then Mom's arms were around him. I'm so sorry, honey, Mom said. Mike's sixteen-year-old mind melted back to about age four. He lay his head on Mom's shoulder and closed his eyes so he wouldn't cry. His breath caught in his throat, despite his best attempts. Mike felt Dad's arms around the both of them. For a minute, Mike wished he were four again, so he could just cry. Things would be simpler, and for a minute he was, and they were. I need to practice parallel parking, Tony told Mike's parents. I was hoping Mike could drive me to a parking lot somewhere and give me a few tips. Mike lay on his bed, staring out the window. He rolled out of bed and came downstairs. Hey, Tony, Mike called. Tony stood in the open doorway. He looked past Mike's parents and nodded. Sure, I'll come, Mike said, but it's not legal exactly. I would need to be 21 years old and have my license for over one year if you wanted to drive on the roads. Mike's dad glanced at him, not exactly surprised, but impressed. I thought there was some rule like that, he said. That's why I just want to practice parking, Tony said. No, I don't think so, Mike's mom said. I'm sorry. Tony looked crestfallen, which Mike thought seemed funny. He was so big and strong, but still just a kid like Mike. Don't worry, I'll drive and just demonstrate the technique. I stole some good tips on parallel parking from Mr. Clark. That would be fine, Mr. Wilson said, though his expression showed that he thought that was a weird way of saying it. Tony gave Mike a significant look. Mike shrugged. Mr. Wilson considered for a moment, as long as that is all that's going to happen. I promise, Mike said immediately. Besides, we have a lot to talk about. You do? Mike's dad asked. What kind of stuff? The tournament, Mike said. There are loads of decisions that need to be made. Mike smiled at his dad, who seemed to be having trouble taking off his principal hat. We'll go to the lake. There are lots of parallel parking spots there. Then we can hike around the lake or something. Tony smiled and looked from Mr. to Mrs. Wilson. Mike? Tony, Mr. Wilson said, we trust both of you. Don't give us any reason not to. What do you think we are going to do, dad? Mike asked. I assume you'll do exactly what you just told us, but this is new territory. You aren't playing video games on our couch like usual, he said. We could do that. Tony glanced at his spot on the couch, which had a large indent that matched his backside exactly. I've got a new game. Mike shook his head. After what happened earlier, I kind of want to get out of the house. Tony looked at him. What happened? I'll tell you in the car. Mike said, "Okay, okay." Mr. Wilson said, "We will call this a test run. Take my cell phone so we can call you and check in. You will be back at what time?" "I don't know," Mike said. "You will be back by 6," Mr. Wilson said. "We've got family game night tonight." He tapped through several screens on his phone. "I'm setting an alarm for 5:30 to remind you." He handed his phone to Mike. "I don't understand why you are so concerned about this, Dad." Mike said. He slid the phone into his pocket. Lots of kids get into trouble at the lake. I've heard the stories, Mr. Wilson said. Oh, that's at the beach, on the South Shore. We aren't going there. The hiking trail is on the North Shore, Tony said. You know about this? Mike suddenly felt very stupid. Tony shrugged. Guys on the team talk about it. He looked at Mike's parents. That's not my thing, I promise. If you are going hiking, Mike's mom said, You are going to want snacks and water. And Mike, I put your shoes through the wash. Go see if the dryer is done yet. What happened to your shoes? Tony asked. Mike didn't answer. He limped to the laundry room and checked. His shoes were piping hot. They're mostly dry, he called. They gathered up food and several bottles of water. Mike stuffed them in his backpack, along with Gran and the coins board game. Tony glanced at the food. That going to be enough? How hungry are you? Mike looked up at Tony. I just played a football game. I'm always starving after games. They made several sandwiches and stacked them inside the empty bread bag. Mike's mom and dad were still standing at the door, side hugging and looking like this was a big moment. Relax. This is no big deal, Mike said. Our little boy is growing up, Mom said nostalgically. Tony took the bag and headed for the minivan. Mike chose a good walking stick, a simple white one with a black rubber gripper on the bottom. He closed the door. See you at six, Mike heard just before the door latched. Mike unlocked the minivan and they drove off. What happened? Tony said immediately. Mike began telling him. The more he said, the angrier Tony got. By the time they had reached the four-way stop, Tony was seething. He's really crossed the line this time. I'm going to give him, I'm going to, I'm, Tony seemed stuck on what he could actually do to Zayden without getting into trouble himself. I think I want to kick him in the nuts, Mike suggested. Yes, Tony shouted, really blast him hard in the balls so he can't do anything but squeak for a month, Mike laughed. He would need a surgery to get them back out of his guts. Oh, yeah to get them out of its chest. That's how hard I would kick him, Mike smiled. He took the highway south for five miles, exited on Lake Street, drove three miles, and followed the north shore side, which was a huge brown plank embedded between two boulders. On the left side of the road were nice houses. On the right was a guardrail along the cliff edge. The sun sparkled off the lake, which spread out for miles just below them. Boats pulled water skiers at high speed. Pontoon party boats moved slowly across the width of the lake and dropped anchor against the scenic cliffs. Mike had to ignore the view to avoid hitting the guardrail. The road snaked along the coast for another half mile. In a place where the cliff jutted out into the lake, a public park had been built. The road had many parking spots against the guardrail. Mike chose one close to the trailhead and demonstrated a perfect parallel parking maneuver. Do it again, Tony said. I didn't see. Mike checked for cars and pulled back onto the road. If I want that space, I set up here. As he parked, he explained each step. Each time he parked, they ended up in exactly the same position along the guardrail. I wish I could download people's skills, Tony complained. It's kind of like having all the answers for a test even though you didn't study. It is like that, Mike admitted with a frown. I feel bad about it. He turned off the minivan. Why? It's also awesome. Tony pulled a sandwich out of the bag and handed it to Mike. Then he started eating his own. It's plagiarism, Mike insisted. Tony tried to remember what that word meant. When you get in trouble for taking someone's report and putting your name on it, You didn't do the work to write the report, but you take credit for it, Mike said. Do people still do that? A two-second computer search can find anything, Tony said. I guess not anymore, Mike said. Tony thought for a minute. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. I mean, when I need to learn new plays in football, I have to study them and practice. It takes time for it to stick in my brain, right? Yeah. But at the end of the week or year, I can do them without thinking. Right, you learn them. The normal way, Mike said. And no one would call that cheating. It's called learning, Tony gestured with the last crust of his sandwich. Some people learn faster than others. We don't call them cheaters just because they catch on quicker. That's true. Tony stuffed the bite into his mouth. So this is the same thing. You learn extremely fast. Mike looked at Tony skeptically. You've got extreme learning potential, ELP, Tony said. H-E-L-P, Mike shouted. Help me, I've got ELP and I don't know what to do about it. Tony laughed. The problem with ELP is that I pull information out of people's minds without their permission. I steal it. I could download one of your sparks right now, and in the morning I could know all of your secrets. I could invent stuff like you. I could play football as well as you. Well, maybe not that, but I could know how to play football, and you would never know that I'd stolen your identity. You would never know how I got so good so fast. I admit that is disturbing, Tony said, but you already know everything about me. I know a lot about you because we've been best friends since when? The diaper years, I think, Tony said. Mike nodded. But if I took your mind, I would know you as well as you know yourself, Mike said. It's really, really personal stuff. Like the other day, I felt a decade of Henry Jackson's frustration in one instant. I nearly lost my mind. It's crazy stuff. I was crying. It's not good that I can get that deep into a person's mind. It's dangerous. It's unhealthy. You were crying at school? I lost it. It was really strong stuff, Mike said. I had to hide in a bathroom stall during American history. I see your point, Tony said, but it's not all bad. You didn't feel all that stuff when you got Mr. Clark's driving skills. No, I didn't even know, Mike said. Why do you think that was? When I take a single memory or skill, it's not so bad, Mike said. They finished eating. Just think of all the cool stuff you could do now. You know everything Henry Jacks knows. You could go into the cell phone business, Tony said. I wish I had your power. Mike thought about that. He had to admit it had possibilities. He'd always assumed he would get a job using his language skill. Translator, teacher, or something. Now Mike figured he could get a job at any company that needed a computer genius. Mike's stomach twisted the idea still didn't sit right. What's the difference between stealing all the money from Henry Jax's bank account or using his intelligence to get a high-paying tech job? Where was Henry anyway? He usually popped in at moments like this. Mike frowned and looked back at Tony. Mike said, actually, Henry and I were thinking of putting some tech inside the new walking stick I'm making in his class. Tony lit up. I want in. You have got to teach me everything you know." Sure, Mike said. He remembered that he'd brought Gran in his backpack. Let me show you what I have in mind. They spent 30 minutes staring at Gran's screen. She didn't work away from the network, but all the files were still available. Mike showed Tony pictures of his new walking stick and described all the machines he had access to. You are so lucky, Tony said at least a dozen times. Tony made Mike explain the computer aided drafting programs in detail and he tried out a few functions. Mike sketched out the first of Henry's ideas for the hollow space inside Mike's new walking stick. It's basically a cell phone, but it needs a total redesign since the space is round and all the existing tech is based on a rectangle. Tony watched the design appear under Mike's lightning-fast hand. He is amazing, Tony gasped. I mean, uh, you are. Now, Mike said, But the day before I downloaded his BrainSpark, I couldn't put two lines together. I'm so jealous, Tony said. Don't worry, I'll teach you everything. Besides, you've got natural talent. That game you designed has a lot of people at school excited. Tony said, you're right, I told my parents about it. They are going to let me skip practice so I can come. Great. I'll get out early and pick you up. It's a big school-wide event now. You've got to be there. A black car pulled up and stopped, two spaces ahead of the minivan. The driver had a dark brown ponytail which whipped from side to side as she made several attempts at parallel parking. Around her head swirled a constellation of all-purple sparks. I know that lady, Mike said. She lives somewhere in our neighborhood. She's got this massive dog that runs her around. They watched the lady give up on parking straight against the curb. Her back wheel was mashed against it. The front of her car was out in the road a few inches. You should offer to park her car for her, Tony suggested. Mike laughed and shook his head firmly. No. The lady opened her door and walked toward the back. She wore a black and purple running outfit that Mike thought matched perfectly with her brain sparks. Not that she could know that. It struck Mike as funny, though. When you said, lady, I expected her to be older, Tony said. Mike shrugged. She is probably twenty or something. They watched her hesitate at the back of her car, as if afraid to open the hatchback. If I knew how to drive, I would offer to park her car for her, Tony said. Her car began shaking violently. The purple spark lady shouted, I won't let you out until you calm down. Her voice was soft but exasperated. Mike said, her dog is huge. The car did not stop shaking. The lady opened the hatchback anyway. She jumped out of the way as a giant brown dog erupted from the car. Tony was out of the minivan in a snap, as if he were playing football. Mike saw him running down the sidewalk before he realized he was getting out. The Great Dane ran several circles and stretched. The black leather leash trailed behind him. The Purple Sparks lady lurched for the leash, but missed. The dog darted away only to find his head pulled back immediately by Tony's rock-solid grip on the leash. Mike jumped out of the minivan and limped up beside Tony. Thank you so much, the lady was saying. Your dog is huge, Tony said. Not my dog, my fiancé's dog. His name is Brutal, said the lady. Brutal? Mike asked. Did he hear that right? I didn't name him, she said. My fiancé did. Brutal tried several times to dart down the sidewalk, but found himself firmly held back. Tony smiled at the purple sparks, lady. I got him. Thank you so much. I've got to put these on, she pointed at some rollerblades in her car. No problem, Tony said. His voice sounded gallant. Mike looked at him. What's wrong with your voice? Mike asked. Tony frowned at Mike and shook his head. I think I've seen you guys before, the lady said do you live in my neighborhood? She asked Mike as she leaned over and strapped on her rollerblades. Tony smiled and nodded. Brutal sat down and waited. Mike said, we live just down from the park. I see you in the mornings walking Brutal. She snapped her fingers. That's right, driving a minivan full of kids. Did you yell something at me the other day? My brother, not me. Sorry about that, Mike said. He has impulse control issues. She laughed. Tony looked at Mike like he'd just pulled a rabbit out of his hat. My name is Carol, the Purple Sparks lady offered. Mike said, like Christmas Carol. Not a bad guess, Carol said. I was born in December, but it's a family name. Mike Wilson, he said, and extended a hand in a very dad sort of way. She shook his hand and smiled. Carol looked at Tony, expecting him to introduce himself. He stood frozen. His stiff smile locked in place. Mike said, this is my friend, Tony Reese. He lives next door to me. Carol finished with her rollerblades and stood up. Nice to meet you both. She took the leash from Tony and looked down at Brutal. Why can't you do that for me? Brutal didn't seem to realize his leash was now in Carol's hands. Are you sure about this? Mike asked. He looked skeptically at Carol, her rollerblades, and then at Brutal. It's the only way to burn down his energy, Carol said. At that moment, Brutal sensed he was free and took off. Carol held tight to the leash like a skier behind a motorboat. Tony watched them speed away. Mike returned to the car to grab his walking stick and the backpack. He locked the car. Mike noticed that Carol hadn't closed her hatchback door. He closed it, and the slam of it jarred Tony. He looked over at Mike a little dazed. What's wrong with you? Mike asked. Nothing. Tony took the pack, lengthened the straps, and shouldered it. They started walking toward the trailhead, which led off the paved sidewalk. How did you do that? Mike caught up with Tony. Do what? Tony flushed. You made her laugh twice. How did you catch her dog? Mike asked. Don't know. Just did it, Tony said. The hiking trail led down the rocky cliff in switchbacks to the water. As they descended, they discussed details of the tournament. Tony kept getting excited. He bounded ahead and then had to circle back. Mike limped along with the help of his walking stick. He couldn't help seeing the resemblance between Tony and Brutal. They reached the water. Small waves padded the rocky shore. When a moist breeze stirred the water, Mike realized how much he was sweating. Want to swim? Tony asked. Mike nodded. They found a flat boulder over the water, stripped off their shoes and shirts, and set them in a pile. Mike peered over the edge of the boulder. The water was impossibly deep and clear. Tony stepped to the edge and laughed. It's going to be cold, he glanced at Mike. On three? Mike looked at Tony. His muscled torso was flexing as he pumped his arms to gear up for the jump. Cannonballs? Mike said. Three, two. One, Tony counted, and they jumped. Mike hugged his knees as he fell. The drop of ten feet felt like fifty. Then the water swallowed Mike and the cold slapped him. He grunted and heard the gurgle of air bubbles leaving his ears. Ah! Mike shouted. Air bubbled up from his face. He kicked for the surface and gasped for breath. Oh, that's cold. Tony came up nearby. He smiled and dove under again. Mike watched him dive straight down. You can't reach the bottom, Mike shouted. Tony's huge feet came out of the water and splashed as he power-kicked himself down. Mike gritted his teeth and dove after Tony. He kicked and blew out his air to catch Tony. Mike had learned long ago that his right foot was worthless as a paddle, so he kept his legs together and swam like a whale. Long, fluid strokes that began at his waist and rippled down to his feet. His mom called it mermaid swimming, but Mike, not liking the association, preferred to call it whale diving. Mike passed Tony and plummeted down as far as he could. His ears popped and the cold really gripped him. He stroked three more times and looked up. Tony was like a shadow above him. He was still struggling to get deeper. Tony saw Mike and pointed in surprise. Mike imagined him saying, How did you get down there, if you weren't holding desperately onto a lungful of air? Then the cold became too much. Tony broke for the surface, paddling his huge feet furiously. Mike relaxed and let his natural buoyancy draw him up. He let a few bubbles out, and they rose ahead of him. Mike saw Tony treading water at the surface. Slowly, Mike rose. The water warmed with each passing foot. When he reached the surface, he let his momentum raise his head up into the air without moving a muscle. He breathed and bobbed and shivered. Tony looked at him. How do you do that mermaid thing? Mike shrugged and paddled toward shore. I'm freezing, Mike said. He climbed up to the boulder where they left their stuff. The sun immediately began warming them. They sat on the edge of the rock, their feet dangling over the water. Want to go in again? Tony asked, after the sun had baked them a while. No, thanks, Mike said. I just stopped shivering. They put on their shoes and shirts and began hiking along the shore. The path was flat for nearly a mile. Then it led back up the cliffs. Mike looked at the ascent and frowned. Why did we take this hike again? It's fun, Tony said. Mike saw that he wasn't even breathing hard. Right, the first part is fun, but climbing back up? What do you call that? Mike asked. He craned his neck to see the top. More fun, Tony passed Mike with an eagerness that Mike translated as sheer joy. Mike groaned. He put his head down and glared at the first switchback. The Parks and Recreation Department had built benches at each turn in the trail with informational placards. Mike looked at each bench longingly, as Tony kept climbing without pause or apparent effort. Mike began dripping sweat. The muscles, which he'd abused all week in weightlifting, were complaining. It's the weekend, Mike said. Have mercy. Finally, Tony passed a placard that read, Halfway Vista. He took off Mike's backpack, sat down on a bench. He pulled the coin's game board out and began setting it up. Mike frowned and looked down toward the water. A dozen boats were anchored below them. Those guys have the right idea. They watched a guy jumping off the roof of his houseboat. His cannonball made a large splash and the kerthunk echoed off the rocky cliffs. The guy surfaced and laughed. Tony watched the man climb back onto the deck of his houseboat. You got that right, Tony said. Mike sat down and pulled Gran from his bag. "'Gran, I want to see the rule suggestions that people have sent in. "'If she didn't work at the road, she's not going to have a signal down here,' Tony said. "'I forgot,' Mike said. He tapped his way through several folders manually and found where Gran had already organized the messages into a neat list. "'There are a lot of them,' Mike said. "'Awesome,' Tony said. "'Giddy as a great day.'" Thanks for listening. You can find B.T. Higgins at bthiggins.com or the email contact bthigginsbooks at outlook.com.